All right, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Crossway. Um, it's just always a privilege to uh, be able to share God's word with you guys. Uh, today we're talking about this idea of fear. Um, what do you fear? And um, it's kind of ironic, but I want to share what I'm afraid of. I'm actually afraid of uh, public speaking. That's very ironic, but, uh, you know, it's something that me and God have always wrestled with, but it's something that has always made me nervous and anxious, and without fail, you know, when I, whenever I have to preach, I mean, not every time, but very often on Saturday night, I have this nightmare, right? And it starts like this, just like this. You know, I, I'm standing in front of the church, you know, I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying, I say a joke, everyone's laughing, things are going really well. And then I say, all right, everyone, now turn to your Bibles to Psalm 112, right? I don't know what chapter or book of Bible it is, but I have everyone turn there. And everyone's turning, and I'm turning, and I just can't find it, right? And I'm struggling in my dream to find this passage, and I know it's in the middle of the Bible, so I'm doing this, but I can't find it. And everyone's just waiting for me. They're already there, and they're just looking at me, and I'm looking to the table of contents, and I'm looking, I can't find it, and then I wake up, and it's this huge nightmare. And it happens to me over and over again. And I think it has to do with this fear of public speaking. And it has the fear of, you know, what are these people thinking about me and all this stuff, right? Now, I think a lot of us, fear of man or fear of people or whatever it is, we all have our fears. Uh, fear of the dark, fear of uh, drowning, fear of spiders or whatever it might be. Um, and I think it's very common for us, we all have fears. Um, sometimes fears are actually good for us, right? Sometimes fears cause us to be cautious. You know, when you're hiking and you're walking up this very slippery, you know, 100-foot slope, you're going to be very careful about how you walk because you're afraid of falling over the edge, right, and, and dying. So that's, in a way, that's good. Uh, it's also, fear is good when, you know, you have, all your money and risk and, and your business and you're doing all this stuff and you're afraid of it failing so you are diligent, right? You're sharp. You're making sure all the numbers are right because you don't want to fail because you're, uh, you have this fear of failing. And so in some ways, fear can be a good thing. It can actually move us in the right way. But what we see in Scripture today and, and what we see in other ways is that at certain times, fear can be a negative thing. Fear can actually be negative when it stifles us, when it hinders us from what we are called to be doing, when it hinders us from what we should be doing, right? For instance, a kid that, you know, at night he is afraid of the dark and he can't go to sleep because he doesn't know what's in the closet or what's under his bed. Or uh, the young entrepreneur who is afraid to go out and build on his million-dollar idea because he's afraid of the risk that it takes. Um, or that young guy that wants to ask out the girl, but he's afraid of rejection. And so there's all these types of fears that actually stifle us that in a way are negative. And what we see in Moses, we're, we're talking about the scene in the burning bush. We, were, right, we started talking about that last week, and we're continu continuing on in that. And we're talking about the fear that Moses had, that God in this burning bush, he calls Moses to go to Egypt and free the Israelites, and yet he's stifled by this fear, right? And, you know, God calls him in chapter 3, 
in the beginning of chapter 3, and then from chapter 3 to chapter 4, we see Moses has five objections. And if we were to categorize these objections, uh, I would say there's two categories. The first one is the fear of man. He's afraid of man. He's afraid of what people might think about him. Right? And we see it in verse 11, chapter 3. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out to Egypt? He's afraid of Pharaoh. Because if you guys remember what happened last, he was in Egypt. He was growing up uh, in, with Pharaoh in that area and in the kingdom. And he saw an Egyptian uh, beating down on a Hebrew. And if you guys remember, Moses, he kills the Egyptian, buries him, and runs away. And later on, Pharaoh finds out about it, and Pharaoh wants to kill him. Right? So the last thing he hears and remembers about Pharaoh is that he wants to kill me. And now God's calling him to go back into Egypt, and he's like, God, who am I that I should go? You know, Pharaoh, he doesn't like me. And he's so concerned. He's so afraid of what Pharaoh thinks, which is legitimate, right? He's going to kill him. And so he's stifled by that. But not only by Pharaoh, he's stifled by the Hebrews, by his very own people and what they think about him. Because if you remember, right after he kills the Egyptian, he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he goes to them and says, hey, you guys are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? And you know what they say to him? He says, hey, who made you judge over us? You know, who do you think you are? Are you going to kill one of us too? And that's the last thing he remembers about the Israelites, about the Hebrews. And so he runs off and, he's, and God tells him to go back and he's like, God, these Hebrews, you know, they're not going to allow me to be their leader. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. And Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. He said, who do you think you are? You think you could come back and you think you could lead us out of Egypt, out of oppression, out of Pharaoh's clutches? Who do you think you are? And Moses had this fear. He was afraid of what Pharaoh might do to him. He was afraid of what the, the Hebrews thought of him. And he thought, I can't lead these people. I'm just not cut out to do that. And not only be, was he stifled because of the fear of man, he was stifled because of the fear of inadequacy. He felt inadequate by himself, right? In that same passage in verse 11, chapter 3, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Chapter 4, verse 13. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Right? That's what it comes down to. He says, please send someone else. God, who am I that I should go out and free the Egyptians or free the Israelites from Egypt? I I'm not charismatic. I stutter when I speak. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not... Uh, this great leader, God, please someone else, send someone else. You must know a better leader than me. God, please send someone else. And he, he had this fear of inadequacy, that he just wasn't good enough to obey the call that God had for him. Now, I want you to step back for a moment and think about how scared Moses have, must have been of man and of his own inadequacy. I mean, He's literally looking at a burning bush that is not being consumed. And he's looking at it straight in the eye and saying, I can't do it. You know, in verse 6 of chapter 3, he says that he was afraid of God, you know, in the burning bush. But apparently the fear of man, apparently the fear of his own inadequacy was so much greater that he can look in the bush, see it burning, and say, God, I, I can't do this. Please send someone else. Because his fear 
was that great. It stifled him from God's call. You know, I think about the burning bush, and I think about how relevant it is to us today, right? You know, God has a unique call for each and every one of us to go out to make disciples of all nations, to share the gospel, to make his love, to make his grace, to make his judgment known to the world. And oftentimes, you know, we struggle with this fear. You know, we're stifled by this fear, the fear of man. You know, what will people think when I share this gospel? What will people think if I pray at, at the workplace? You know, will they be hostile? Will they be mean to me? Will they ignore me? Will they treat me differently? You know, the fear of uh, inadequacy. What if they ask me a question that I can't answer? What if my life is just not good enough so that people, they'll look at me and say, man, that's not a good representation of the gospel. What if I do more harm than good? What if, and then you have the fear of failure, right? What if I do this and they say, man, I don't want to be a Christian because of this person. Uh, if this is a Christian, then I don't want to be. And we have all these fears and it stifles us from the call that God has to go and make disciples of all nations to go and share the love, to reach the lost, to, uh, to, to help those who are oppressed. And we're stifled because of this fear oftentimes. We say, Lord, please send someone else. That's what it comes down to, right? I'm inadequate. I can't do this. I'm fearing. Please send someone else. And it's dangerous because... You know, for us as believers who have been saved, who believe in the call that God has for us, he's called us to go and make his name known, right? But if we start to turn away from that call, if we start to say, God, the fear of man, the fear of inadequacy is greater than the fear of God, then we begin to turn away from his call. And then we begin to start living for ourselves. We start to say, God, this is kind of uncomfortable. This is kind of difficult. I don't think I could do this. I'm going to just start living for myself. I'm going to start just doing the things that I want to do. And what we end up doing is we start putting ourselves in a bubble. And we say, I'm going to do what's not, I'm only going to do things that aren't uncomfortable. I'm only going to do things that are easy for me, that are safe. And, you know, it's a challenge for us because, you know, for people that live in the OC, you know what our stereotype is? It's people that live in the OC bubble, right? Have you guys heard that before? You know, people who live in the OC bubble are people who just want to live in a safe, a comfortable life. You know, they want to have the nice house, the nice job. And they don't want to do anything out of their own thing that's going to cause them to be uncomfortable, right? It has to be safe. You know, if it's going to cause them some uncomfortableness, if that's going to be uncomfortable for them, if that's going to cause them to be a little bit dangerous, you know, we don't want to do that. That's the stereotype of the OC bubble, right? But for, uh, for believers, that's not our call. You know, we're called to obey the Lord, to go out, regardless of the dangers, regardless of how comfortable it is, and to obey the call. So, oh, so what I want to do today is to look at how does Moses overcome these fears, or how does God allow Moses to overcome these fears? Because I think it's very relevant, and it's an answer that I think all of us need to know so that we can also overcome these answers, or overcome these fears so that we can live out the calling that God has for our lives, right? So the first one is this. There's two that I'm looking at. The first way to overcome our fears 
to obey the call that God has for us is to replace the fear. We need to replace the fear. We need to replace the fear of man and the fear of inadequacy with something else, the fear of something else. Right? What's interesting is that in chapter 3, again, in the beginning, Moses is encountered by the burning bush, and in verse 6 it says that he was very afraid. Right? He was afraid to look at the burning bush. The rest of chapter 3, God tells him to call, and Moses says, I can't do it. He gives all these examples. He says, I can't do it, I can't do it, I'm slow of speech, you know, who am I, blah, blah, blah. Verse, and then at the end of chapter 4, he ends up saying, God, please send someone else. That's the last objection that Moses has. Please send someone else, right? That's verse 13. Now, look what happens in verse 14, right after Moses gives his final, send someone else, right? Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now, I don't know what that looked like, but I kind of have an image because they use the word kindled. And, you know, kindled has the idea of fire being lit up. And, you know, I can just imagine this consuming, this fire that's not being consumed just blowing up in a rage, right? And, and being so scary that it doesn't say Moses was afraid, but I'm pretty sure that Moses was afraid because the Lord's anger was kindled. And then it goes on to say, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. So he's basically saying, do this. You're going to do it, right? And his anger is kindled. The next verse in verse 18. I love this. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. What happened? How was Moses able to overcome the fear of inadequacy and the fear of man? It was the fear of God, right? It scared the daylights out of him. And he said, Oh my gosh, this is what I should really be afraid of. And it was replaced. And he said, Okay, God, I am afraid of you. I will obey you. Now, for us as people who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the blessing is that we don't have to experience the fear of the Lord in this way, where God's just in this rage and we're just like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. You know, God is not a bully that will force us to do the things that he wants us to do, to carry out his call. But what we see is that the fear of the Lord is still something that's active, right? And I want you to see some of the descriptions of people who follow in the fear of the Lord. You know, their, their description is not someone who's intimidated or scared. But look at this. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it rests satisfied. Psalm 112.1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. The New Living Translation says, Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. So what we see is that those who fear the Lord, they're not intimidated to carry out the call. But there's something else. But the fear of the Lord still exists. And uh, there was a blog post from uh, a website, desiringgod.org. It's the, it's the website that uh, John Piper and his church, they have. And there was a blog post by uh, a, a lady named Christina Fox. And she explains it like this. You know, for the unbeliever, there is just, there should be terror when, when encountering the fear of the Lord. 
because they will be judged for their transgressions, and the judgment that they have is not a favorable one. They should be absolutely scared and terrified. But for the believer who has Jesus Christ and the punishment and the penalty and the judgment paid already for them by Jesus Christ on that cross, the fear of the Lord is actually something quite different. The description that she gives is from the book uh, Pleasures of God. It's, it's a book by John Piper. And the way they describe it, I think, captures this perfectly. And let me just give you some background before we read this. It's, he says, imagine that you're on this Arctic iceberg, right? And there's this huge storm just going crazy. And you're on this iceberg. And you're about to just, you're going to be lifted off and carried off to the edge of the cliff. And you're going to fall off and you're going to die. And there's absolute terror. But you're able to find this cleft in the ice, and you're able to hide in it. And you're able to find safety in it, right? And so this is the fear of the God, fear of God in that type of understanding, right? This is what he says. At first, there was the fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life. But then you found a refuge and gained the hope that you would be safe. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanished from your heart. Only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling the awe, the wonder, the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such power. The fear of God is what is left out of the storm when you have a safe place to watch right in the middle of it. Or the thrill of being here in the center of the awful power of God, yet protected by God himself. That is the awe of God, where you see the storm and the magnitude and the power that God displays, but you have the comfort knowing that you're safe knowing that you're in the clutches of God and in his hands. The fear of the Lord is the awe of the Lord, that we need to grow in the awe of the Lord. Because, you know, if you really think about it, fear of man and fear of self is actually awe of man and awe of self. Let me explain it a little bit. You know, when you have the fear of man, what you're doing is you're saying what this person thinks is so important you're elevating that person, and you're being in awe of that person. And even yourself, when, you're, uh, when you have the fear of inadequacy of yourself, it might sound humble, and it might sound like you're, you're very genuine, and you're like, oh, I'm a nobody, but actually, you're in awe of yourself. You're raising yourself and what you can't do higher than what you think God can do for you in your life. And so it's the, we're competing with awe. Who are you in awe of at this time? And when Moses saw the power of the Lord in his, in his anger, he saw the awe. He saw the power of the Lord. And that's the calling for us to see the awe of the Lord, that we would replace the fear of man, fear of inadequacy, fear of failure, whatever fear you might have that stifles you from the call that God has for us, and to submit under the awe of God. Because when the awe of God becomes the primary, the supreme thing, that's what we want to obey. That's the calling that we want to obey. Not the call of the fear of man, the fear of inadequacy that tells you you can't do these and stifles you. But the awe of God calls us, and that is what we obey. But it's not just fear, right? It's not just the fear of God that motivates uh, Moses. It's not just... God trying to be angry and 
forcing someone to do something that he doesn't want to do. What we see the next part is that not only do we have to replace our fear, but we have to understand God's love. We have to understand the love that God has. Okay? What we see here is that God wasn't just angry at Moses for uh, being stubborn, right? For being afraid and being selfish or whatever it is. But God's anger and God's frustration actually comes from the fact that he loves his people so much. He loves his Israelites so much that he wants to save them. And he wants to use Moses, but Moses is being stubborn, right? So it's actually wrapped in the love of God, the mission of God, that Moses is uh, stifling. What we see is in chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. When the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What we see is that Moses tells, or God tells Moses, I have seen the cry of my people. My people are crying out because they're being oppressed, and I am going to do a work to rescue them. And you can see how frustrating it must be for God when Moses is like, no, I can't do it. No, 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 you don't understand. My life is, I'm afraid. You know, a fear of man, Pharaoh, the Israelites, I can't do it. Because God has such a heart that he wants to rescue his people, the frustrating and the anger comes from his love for the Israelites. It's similar to in Jonah. If you guys remember Jonah, he was swallowed by a big fish because he didn't want to go and preach the gospel to the Ninevites, right? The Ninevites, uh, Jonah hated them. He hated those people, and he wanted them to die. And he knew that if he went out to preach the gospel to the Ninevites, that they would come to know God and they would repent. That's why he didn't want to go there. Because he says, God, I know you're a gracious God. I know you're a merciful God. So I know that if I go there and share the gospel, they're going to turn to you. That's why I don't want to go there, because he hated them. And this is what he says in verse 11, chapter 4. And should, I not, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You know, God was calling Jonah to do his work because his heart burned. Because God's heart was burning for the lost, for those who didn't know him and who were going to be judged. That is the calling that he has for us and every single one of us as well. That it's not just about, oh, God, I'm just dealing with this fear. I can't do this. And it's not just this one-on-one -on -one thing. But God has this mission. God has this global plan that's in place. And he wants to use each and every one of us in our workplaces, in our schools, amongst our friends and our families and strangers and people we haven't even met yet. God has a mission and he plans to use the church, right? That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3.10, right? That the manifold wisdom is that God plans to use the church to display his glory. The plan is for each and every one of us to go out to make his name known. And us stepping out of our fears is a part of that mission.
That's the calling that he has for us. God wants us to step outside of our comfort zones, our own fears, to see the bigger picture, to see the bigger mission that is in store for us. To make the name of God known in this place. That's the calling. That's the mission that we have for all of us. Now, I want to just close with this by reading a few passages. But, you know, this burning bush moment, uh, you know, it's so defining for Moses, right? It changed him. It, it, it caused him to go out to Egypt and do what God called. But it wasn't, it was a defining moment, but it wasn't the only moment, right? What we see is that Moses continually sought after the Lord. You know, you think of David, King David, right? And some of the descriptions that he has, the people recognize him as a man after God's own heart. That's kind of his description, right? Uh, you think of Paul as someone who was bold for the Lord. Now, when you think of Moses, uh, this is the description that we remember for Moses, okay? Is that he continually met with God face to face, okay? Look at Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and behold the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He says, you know, other prophets and other people, I speak to them in dreams and illusions and uh, riddles, but not with Moses. I speak with them directly, face to face. We have a fellowship. And he had this continuous relationship with God. And at the end of his life, you know, when Moses is about to pass away and when jo Joshua comes and he's going to now lead, this is the last part and last mention of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his lands, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And there's that phrase again. There was none whom the Lord knew face to face other than Moses. No one else that Moses knew God face to face. And, you know, you think about Moses' fears. You know, fears don't go away after one moment, right? They're, they always linger. But it was Moses spending time with God face to face, consistently, constantly, understanding the awe of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, understanding the love of the Lord and the mission that God has for him. That's what allowed him to accomplish what God had for him. You know, it wasn't just that God had that burning bush moment, and then after that he was let go and he just accomplished all this stuff, but Moses had burning bush moments throughout the course of his life. What is amazing for us today, and what I think we should be in awe of and so thankful for, is that now through Jesus Christ, you and I can have these burning bush moments every single day. You know, in the Old Testament, it says the burning bush moment occurred, you know, only between Moses and him. 
says there's no other prophet that had that. But here we see through the work of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity now to meet with God face to face. A privilege that Moses alone was the, was that one that had it in the Old Testament. Every believer who believes in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ had died on the cross for our sins, who has given us now access to God in the most holy place, we now can meet with God face to face. That every time we open up God's word, we meet him face to face. That is the call for us. If you want to obey the call of the Lord and you want to overcome fear by being in awe of God, if you want to overcome fear by uh, understanding the love of God, it comes by meeting face to face with our Lord. And that's my encouragement for us, that we would meet face to face with him because he's opened that way up for us. And as we do, you know, I believe that our church can do great things for the Lord. And not that we're not doing great things for the Lord right now, but, you know, when we have all our fears diminished because the fear of the Lord is greater, you know, when we're able to overcome any obstacles or hardships because we know that the love of God has a mission for his people, I, I truly believe that people will be impacted and people will come to Christ and, you know, God will be honored. And so with that, I ask you guys, that's my prayer for us, that we would meet face-to-face with the Lord every single day. Let's pray.